Welcome to American Indian and Alaska Native Living, a program designed to educate and inspire listeners throughout Indian country. American Indian and Alaska Native Living is hosted by Dr. David DeRose, a board-certified specialist in both internal medicine and preventive medicine. Dr. DeRose has a wide range of experience with Native health issues, and he is here today to help you learn more about your health. Here is Dr. DeRose. Welcome to American Indian and Alaska Native Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. Today we're featuring a very special show. It is designed to give you, well, some exciting information that will be shared in a detailed program called the Stress Control Summit. It's taking place May 22nd through May 24th of 2022, but we've been granted the ability to share some of the content with you in today's program. I'm not going to spend a lot of time introducing the various speakers, but we've got a great lineup of individuals that was featured in this summit. So most of these are pre-recorded lectures or interviews, many of them uh, done toward the end of 2021, I know, because I was one of the presenters. But I understand there's some new content as well that's being added to the edition that's coming out in May. The series is absolutely free but we're going to be giving you some exciting footage from various speakers who presented at that venue. We're going to first hear from Dr. Daniel Binus. Dr. Binus is a psychiatrist practicing in Northern California, and we're going to hear his insights, things that can make a difference practically for you as you attempt to deal with stress. How to make friends with your stress. Um, You know, this is uh, an interesting topic because I think sometimes... Our tendency as human beings is to want to avoid stress. Most people say, I don't like stress, but to live, to be alive, it's inevitable that we experience stress. And so if you have to live like with a roommate or someone in your house, then it's better just to learn how to make friends with them if you can't escape rather than being enemies. And so I hope by the end of this presentation that you can get have some idea of things you can do to actually cope with your stress in a way that um, actually helps you thrive and not just get through and survive. So first of all, what is stress? Well, stress is a factor that causes bodily or mental tension. So of course, oftentimes people feel stress in their body, but a lot of times uh, it's not as much in their body, but they feel that tension in their mind. So one of the things that is helpful to understand is what happens in our body when we feel stress. So we have what we call the stress response, and there's a fast component to that stress response, which is regulated by what we call the sympathetic nervous system or the fight or flight nervous system. And through that system, you basically have your body and your mind perceive stress, and then there is nerve cell signals that go from your brain down to your adrenal glands, and your adrenal glands release adrenaline, which is norepinephrine and epinephrine. And that norepinephrine and epinephrine travels throughout the body and causes your heart to increase, uh, causes your breathing to become uh, faster and heavier, and it changes the blood flow uh, away from your organs and more into the peripheral extremities. Uh, in, In addition, that those same adrenaline molecules are released in your brain, which uh, often cause your thoughts to be racing, and you get kind of this tunnel vision, 
and you feel like, oh, I have to do something uh, very rapidly to respond here. And then there's the slow component, and that goes along what we call the HPA axis, the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis. And essentially what that does is that actually causes a release of cortisol from the adrenal glands. Now, why is this slow and the other one's fast? Well, the sympathetic nervous system is fast because the signal travels along the nerve cells. And this is a very fast signal because it goes the speed of electricity. On the other hand, the slow component goes through the bloodstream. So in other words, when you have the ACTH being released from the brain, it travels slowly through the bloodstream. And then it also goes to the adrenal glands. And then that releases the cortisol. So a lot of times we think of cortisol and, and we hear, oh, cortisol is bad. But in reality, cortisol is not bad. It actually helps us to regulate the immune system. It actually, there's a feedback mechanism where when the cortisol circles back and uh, comes to the brain, it actually helps to shut down that fight or flight, fast component of the stress response. The problem is if you are chronically stressed and the cortisol continues to be elevated for a long, long time, that's when you start running into problems. You know, that's when you start actually developing diseases like autoimmune diseases or having immune system dysfunction uh, where you're not able to fight illness properly, uh, things like cancer and also uh, long-term memory problems and all sorts of uh, issues that come with chronic elevation of cortisol, which happens with chronic long-term stress. So. Before the pandemic, we already had a lot of stress, okay? There was actually a, a researchers that, from Carnegie Mellon University that analyzed data over the course of about 30 years, and they were looking at what are the major stressors and is stress overall on the rise? What they found is that stress levels were already increasing about 10 to 30% over those three decades. Now, who do you think maybe had it worst? It was actually women, young people, and low-income Americans were the most stressed. And people often wonder why, you know, why are the women? Well, I think a lot of that is because uh, women over the last several decades have uh, been more and more involved in the workforce, which, you know, I'm not against women going into the workforce, but the issue there is that not only are they in the workforce, but they're also expected to still take home, uh, take care of the home duties and this sort of thing. And so that has added um, quite a bit to their stress. Uh, young people, a big issue there is, again, there's more and more expectation being put on young people, and yet they're given less and less tools because we're not raising our young people properly. And so that, of course, creates a dissonance and a high stress level. And then low-income Americans, um, that probably is very understandable. When you don't have enough means uh, to survive, then that is very stressful. So what was actually stressing people before the pandemic? So money, 67%, number one. And work, 65%. Family responsibilities, which, of course, you know, have to do with relationships and the family and this sort of thing. Uh, personal health concerns and health problems affecting a family member. So these were the big stressors that were affecting people before the pandemic. Oh, and the economy.
which is still a stressor for many people. So what about during the pandemic? Like we talked at the beginning, we know, not just from the research, we know it's very obvious, people know that the stress level has been very high. I mean, you just walk down the street and you talk to somebody and you can see, wow, people are just stressed. And there's a lot of anger. There's a lot of uh, people getting into uh, fights, even with it in families because of different political views. And there's so many issues that are going on that are causing stress. So you can see that during the pandemic, uh, stress levels have been actually uh, quite high. And this survey was done in January of 2021. And it showed that even though, you know, people have been dealing with the pandemic since March, April of 2020, which, you know, stress level is quite high. The stress level didn't go away within the first few months. You can see this is all the way in January, almost a year after the pandemic started, the average level of stress was actually even higher than the beginning. Because some people say, okay, well, people just, you know, kind of adjust to that stress and it's the new normal and you get over it and you get used to it. But the truth is people are still feeling very stressed dealing with everything going on. More than eight in 10 Americans report feeling stressed in the last two weeks. Now, I know there's an international audience here, and it's important to understand that I'm relatively certain that this statistic would be about the same no matter what country you are in the, in the uh, Western uh, world, um, that people are feeling very, very stressed. So with all this stress going on, what has that done to our health? Well, if we don't learn how to take care of stress and deal with stress, which, you know, stress often comes from things that are really outside of our control, then that leads to health problems. So what are some of the health problems that research is actually showing is happening when people are struggling with stress? So since COVID, a majority of adults 61% reported experiencing undesired weight changes since the start of the pandemic, with 42% stating that they gained more weight than they intended. Of this group, listen to this, wow, of this group, adults reported gaining an average of 29 pounds, 29 pounds. So you've heard of the COVID-19. <laughs> the COVID-19 is oftentimes people joke and say, yes, I've gained 19 pounds during the COVID-19. But the reality, the research actually shows it's not 19 pounds, it's actually 29 pounds for people that have gained significant weight. Even before the pandemic, we had this, what they called this obesity epidemic. And now, you know, people are having more time at home, they're less active, and of course, they're stressed. And a lot of people do stress eating to cope right. with their stress. Now, some people actually lose weight because they lose their appetite when they're stressed. But there's a, the majority of people actually eat more. Two in three Americans said they are sleeping more or less. So sleep problems, 62 thirds than they wanted to since the pandemic started. Nearly one in four adults reported drinking more alcohol to cope. And nearly half of Americans said they delayed or canceled health care services since the pandemic started. So nearly half of parents said the level of stress in their life has increased compared with before the pandemic. More than three in five parents with children who are still home for remote learning said the same. 
So a lot of parents I talk to, even in my practice, say it's been incredibly difficult trying to work from home, um, trying to help their children navigate through school and online learning. It's been very stressful for people. Essential workers were more than twice as likely as those who are not to have received treatment from a mental health professional. So those people that are on the front line, that are the essential workers, uh, there's a lot more mental health problems that are coming up. Why? Because they're all, all even more stressed than the average person. Generation Z, adults. So this is the youngest generation of adults, Generation Z, is 46% we're the most likely generation to say their mental health has worsened compared with before the pandemic, followed by Xers, millennials, boomers, and older adults. You know, this is an interesting statistic. Actually, there was a study that was done uh, in August of 2020, where they looked at this age group of age 18 to 24 year olds. So young people, and they found that over 25% of these young people had serious suicidal thoughts in the last month. And that speaks to, wow, you know, this whole pandemic and everything happening, you think like maybe it affects the people that are high risk, that are older age. Yes, it affects them, but it affects most actually the young people. And I think a big part of that is because they're looking at the future and they're saying, oh man, the future is hopeless. Things aren't getting any better. They're also isolated. They're away from their peers uh, for the most part. They're not able to connect and move forward and they, they feel stuck. And, the, and then some, oftentimes when people feel stuck and when people feel hopeless, that's when the suicidal thoughts start to creep in. We have to step away from Dr. Binus's presentation, but we're going to have more from Dr. Daniel Binus, physician, psychiatrist who's practicing in Northern California, because he is one of the featured speakers in the Stress Control Summit. You can get full details by simply going to StressControlSummit.com. That's StressControlSummit.com. The program is absolutely free. You do need to pre-register, and you can watch that summit from May 22nd through May 24th. You'll hear Dr. Binus's full presentation, if you so choose, as well as other engaging speakers. We've got a number of them who are going to be featured on today's edition of American Indian and Alaska Native Living. We've got more coming up right after this, so don't go away. Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please reach out to us on the web at A-I-A-N-L dot O-R-G. That stands for American Indian Alaska Native Living. Again, A-I-A-N-L dot org. Or you can call us at 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. We are strong, we are resilient, and we will get through this together. But these are stressful times, and it's important to also practice good self-care. It's normal to feel overwhelmed, anxious, or afraid. But there is hope. Reach out to someone. Connect with your friends. Stay in touch with your community. And know that you are not alone. Learn more at wearebroadcasters.com slash hope. Furnished by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. When Jim died, I wondered if I would be able to keep the farm. 
Then I heard about the USDA's loan program for socially disadvantaged farmers and ranchers. It's for women and minorities who may be having trouble getting credit. Once I was approved, the USDA's Farm Service Agency helped me get the credit I needed. Now I don't have to sell, and I can pass the farm down to my kids the way Jim's dad passed it down to him. I know he'd like that. Contact your local USDA service center or visit www.fsa.usda.gov. Social Security is with you through life's journey from birth to retirement. As your life changes year to year, so do your needs. For over 80 years, Social Security has helped to meet your needs and is committed to improving access to the services that make a difference in your life. Today, you can verify your earnings, estimate your future benefits, apply for retirement, manage your benefits, and even change your address all from the comfort of your home. Social Security's online services help put you in control with secure access to your information anytime, anywhere, allowing you to spend more time with family, friends, or simply just enjoying the day. Social Security, securing today and tomorrow. See what you can do online at socialsecurity.gov. Produced at U.S. taxpayer expense. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian and Alaskan Native Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. Welcome back to American Indian and Alaska Native Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. We're going to go back to some more material from Dr. Daniel Binus. Dr. Binus heads up his own practice in Northern California at the beautiful Minds Medical Clinic outside of Sacramento, California. Dr. Binus has been sharing things that can make a difference as far as how you and I deal with stress. Here are some more insights from Dr. Daniel Binus. I want to spend the rest of our time today talking about how we can overcome stress. And I want to talk about the three different areas, how we can manage stress with body ways of dealing with the physical, our physical health, how we can prepare to deal with stress so body, and then how we can deal with stress from a mental standpoint, from a psychological standpoint, that's the mind. And then how we can also deal with stress from a spiritual standpoint. And so we're going to dive into each one of these uh, separately. And I hope that there's going to be some practical uh, tools that you can take with you to really help you, again, not just barely get by with stress, but really thrive when you are faced with stress. So the first thing that we want to talk about is how we can prepare our body to deal with stress. So the first thing that uh, we need, need to think about is stressing our bodies and our minds a little bit actually helps us to become then more resilient, even when we are dealing with bigger stressors. And I think exercise is actually a very good example of that. So with exercise, you actually have some cortisol that's released. And this, of course, prolonged exposure is toxic. But when you exercise regularly, especially with cardiovascular exercise, this actually lowers Look at this part right here. Exercise lowers HPA access reactivity. That gives you an attenuated response to stress. What this means is if you exercise regularly, 
you have a little bit of cortisol being released. You have some, some stress, but this makes your body and your brain less reactive when it comes to actually dealing with other stressors, like maybe mental stressors or even other physical stressors. So then you can handle it better. It also increases BDNF, which is brain-derived neurotrophic factor. This is kind of like brain fertilizer, and that helps your brain to grow. It helps new nerve cells connections to be formed, and it's very protective uh, for your brain as well. So exercise is one of the best ways you can prepare your body to deal with stress. And it's also, you know, a stress reliever as well. I know that when I'm feeling stressed, one of the best things I can do is go for a run. And it literally feels like I'm blowing off steam. <laughs> what about hydrotherapy? Well, hydrotherapy or hydrothermal treatment, which is hot and cold treatment. Also, if you've done it, you will know that this is stressful. <laughs> when you have that cold water going over your body, it can feel stressful. So basically to do hydrotherapy, you get nice and hot in, in the shower or in a bathtub and, um, and make sure that your body is nice and warm and pink. And then after you know, several minutes of, of being nice and hot, you turn on the cold and you, you try to be in the cold, as cold as you can stand it, and even colder than maybe you think you can stand it <laughs> for, for at least 30 seconds, 30 to 60 seconds. And that actually is stressful, but again, it's a mild stressor, which actually improves the immune system function and releases endorphins and also releases cortisol. But again, that actually is a healthy stressor that makes your body and your mind more resilient to long-term stress. If you want to hear Dr. Binus's full presentation, you can catch it at StressControlSummit.com. You'll be able to tune in if you register to presentations from May 22nd through May 24th of 2022. Now we're going to segue to another one of the presenters at the summit. His name is Dr. Neil Nedley. Dr. Nedley is the president of Weimar Institute in Northern California, uh, one of Dr. Binus's neighbors, if you will, uh, not next door necessarily, but in the same geographic area of the country. Dr. Nedley is going to be talking about some really critical stuff that relates to performance, mental performance, stress, ties in a whole variety of things. I know you'll enjoy these portions of his presentation that we've been graciously allowed to share with you that will be presented in full at the Stress Control Summit coming up May 22nd through May 24th of this year. Let's hear what Dr. Nedley has to say. So uh, today we were actually asked to speak on this uh, rather shorter presentation on academic performance. And so um, we are going to be uh, going through uh, just a few things. It's not going to be um, super comprehensive because we only have about 30 minutes, uh, but we will go over multiple things that can play a major role in improving academic performance. Uh, BDNF is something that we measure. We actually can measure this in the bloodstream, and it can have a dramatic uh, benefit in regards to academic performance. It's called brain-derived neurotrophic factor. It's a protein uh, thought of as a brain uh, fertilizer, and BDNF helps the brain to develop new connections, uh, repair 
failing brain cells and protect healthy brain cells. In addition, having enough BDNF around can even protect our brains from neurodegenerative diseases like Alzheimer's disease and Parkinson's disease. When BDNF levels are high, acquiring new knowledge is easy. Memories are retained and people actually feel happier. Indeed, BDNF can even be thought of as a natural antidepressant. And a lot of the antidepressant medicines are even measuring before and after BDNF levels to see if the medicines can make a difference. But it turns out lifestyle factors can make a bigger difference in BDNF. Unfortunately, when BDNF levels fall, the opposite occurs. People have difficulties in learning new things. Uh, dementia can actually occur and depression is much more common. An interesting study was done with 144 pilots. These are individuals that have high levels of training and have to have um, recurrent um, training. Of course, pilots are not only learning to fly an airplane from point A to point B, that's kind of the easy part, although that's certainly more complex than driving an automobile. Uh, but the real reason why we're hiring pilots is if something goes wrong with the airplane to be able to um, land it safely and uh, without damage and without damage to property. And so they have to learn all of the emergency measures if this goes wrong or if, that's go if that goes wrong. And there's a lot of things that can go wrong with airplanes. And so they have to train for all of those emergency procedures. And of course, it can be academically challenging. And plus, it can be athletically challenging because you have to take over um, the flight of the airplane and be able to land it maybe in tight spaces, not on a runway, those sorts of things. So those with low BDNF levels had a harder time maintaining their skills in doing this over three years. Their scores dropped twice as fast and their hippocampus in the brain became smaller um, and that was associated with the low BDNF levels. This is the area in the temporal lobe that has to do with memory. So of course a big question is how can we increase BDNF levels through lifestyle measures and physical exercise is one of those things. Physical exercise is actually better for our brain than it is our body particularly when we are exercising aerobically to become fit. Intellectual activity itself will also increase BDNF. So when we're going to school and we're engaging in academic learning, our BDNF levels can come up. Uh, having face-to-face -face social interactions uh, have been shown to actually increase BDNF levels. Uh, nurturing relationships. It's kind of interesting um, when we take a look at the week of creation, God was saying it's good, it's good. And sometimes he said it's very good. But even before sin came into the world, he issued the words, it is not good. And of course, the end of that sentence was for man to be alone. He designed us to be social creatures. And it turns out social media is a simulation of real face-to-face -face social interaction, but it's not. And it actually does not increase BDNF levels. In fact, uh, we'll see the opposite occur with social media. Being in sunlight also can help uh, BDNF levels, the sunlight through the eyes in particular. 
Um, when we are learning how to reduce our stress and manage our emotions, that can also improve BDNF levels. And so cognitive behavioral therapy can play a role in this. Getting at least seven hours of sleep per night can increase BDNF levels. And interestingly, BDNF does not go down with sleep deprivation as long as we are on a regular aerobic exercise program. Do you want to hear more from Dr. Neil Nedley? Well, then stay tuned. We'll be having some more from uh, that presentation. But if you want to hear the whole presentation, you're going to have to attend the free Stress Control Summit from May 22nd through May 24th. You can pre-register right now at StressControlSummit.com. That's right, May 22nd through May 24th of 2022. That program is available for you free of charge. We'll be back with more from Dr. Neil Nedley and other presenters from the summit right after this. American Indian and Alaska Native Living will continue in a moment. If you have questions or comments about today's pre-recorded broadcast, please contact us on the web at AIANL.org or call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. A message from the National Police Association. It used to be that any able-bodied person would offer to assist a police officer in danger. Now, passers-by are more likely to take a video. There's a better use for your phone when an officer's in trouble. Call 911. Tell the operator where you are and what you see. Then, start your video to provide evidence later. To learn more about how you can assist law enforcement, visit nationalpolice.org. That's nationalpolice.org. Unlike other health concerns, mental illness is not always easy to see. Depression won't show up on an eye chart, and you can't measure it on your bathroom scale. Sorting out a mental health concern is not something to attempt on your own. You won't find a bipolar disorder by looking at a thermometer. Like many other health conditions, help for mental illness takes professional diagnosis and treatment. Anxiety won't just go away under a stick-on bandage. So the sooner you seek treatment, the better. If you or a loved one has a mental health concern, don't go it alone. Find out what to do. For 24-hour free and confidential information and treatment referral, call 1-800-662-HELP. Learn more at samhsa.gov support. That's S-A-M-H-S-A dot gov slash support. Using meth taught me everything about freedom, only not like you think. It taught me how easy it is to lose your freedom. If you think meth is taking control of you, ask for help. You have the power to be truly free. I know. I'm Jan, and I'm free from meth. If you or someone you know is struggling with meth, call 1-800-662-HELP for 24-hour free and confidential treatment referral. Learn more at samhsa.gov slash meth. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian and Alaska Native Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. 
Welcome back to the second half of today's edition of American Indian and Alaska Native Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. We've got more in this segment of the show from Dr. Neil Nedley, and then we'll hear from other presenters. If you're just joining us, we've been allowed to feature content that will be aired in its entirety during the Stress Control Summit. It will take place from May 22nd through May 24th of 2022. Dr. Nedley's presentation is one that I think you will not want to miss. We've got more of it right here, right now for you. Let's take a listen. Another aspect in regards to academic performance is what we're eating, when we're eating, and if we're eating. Excess calories, it turns out, reduces synaptic plasticity and increases the vulnerability of cells to damage by causing free radical formation that surpasses the buffering capacity of the cell. Moderate caloric restriction is thus protective of the brain by reducing oxidative damage to cellular proteins, lipids, and nucleic acids. Many of the beneficial effects of caloric restriction and fasting appear to be mediated by the nervous system. I think there was a reason that when we needed to utilize our brains and have them more optimized, Uh, God actually recommended fasting uh, in the Bible. Intermittent fasting results in increased production of brain-derived neurotrophic factor, which increases the resistance of neurons to dysfunction and degeneration. So you're going to preserve your neurons better over time when you are intermittently fasting. Resting our guts periodically through daily fasting and daily fasting is best done when you're eating breakfast and lunch, but not a supper. Uh, but that'll trigger a cascade of hormonal events in our bodies, which actually boost our body's repair mechanisms. BDNF will start to go up as little as 12 hours after our last intake of food, and will go up even more dramatically uh, within a 17-hour um, fast period, which actually can occur on a daily basis if you're eating just breakfast and lunch. Once you're fasting over 12 hours, metabolism of fat starts to occur, and that releases fatty acids called ketones, which actually can uh, improve learning, memory, and reduce neurodegeneration. So that daily um, 12 to 17-hour fast can actually be protective of our brains over time. Prolonged daily fasting and overnight fasting has actually been shown to not only help our brains, but also our immune system. For instance, breast cancer reduction is significantly reduced in those on a two-meal-a-day program without suppers, for instance, versus those on a three-meal-a-day program. And then, of course, it depends on what we are actually eating. Vitamin C is a cofactor in dopamine production. Dopamine is often undersupplied in people with depression, and it causes a decrease in motivation, and it can even cause apathy. And if you want to have great academic performance, it really helps to be motivated. It's also an antioxidant along with carotenoids and vitamin E and decreases inflammation and improves well-being overall. So some of the higher um, vitamin C foods are broccoli, particularly when raw. If you cook it, it'll destroy about half of the vitamin C. Sweet green bell peppers raw, you have even more. An orange is going to have more, 70 milligrams for one orange. Kiwi even more, 75 milligrams. Strawberries are one of the best sources of vitamin C, 82 milligrams. Pink or red grapefruit are also a great source, 94 milligrams. And then there's a vegetable called Brussels sprouts. Even when we boil it, one cup will have 98 milligrams. Fresh orange juice is going to have 124 milligrams per cup. 
And sweet red bell peppers is an extremely high source, just one medium sweet red bell pepper, 141 milligrams. These are foods that can actually help our brain and help our academic performance. Then there are polyphenols or anthocyanins, uh, one of which is an anthocyanin. This is what causes certain foods to be purple or blue, uh, for instance. And these polyphenols can actually cross the blood-brain barrier. Plums, for instance, can have polyphenols in them. And then higher sources of polyphenols are going to be in blackberries and in blueberries. And studies show that these polyphenols will go to the learning and memory centers in the brain. In fact, they'll even produce a purple hue right in the hippocampus itself after a meal because these anthocyanins are being taken up by the brain uh, in a way to protect the brain and help the brain. Blueberry supplementation, for instance, has been shown to improve memory in older human adults. And Concord grapes also have these anthocyanins. Concord grapes have been shown to improve verbal learning in a nice study that compared juice versus placebo. What did they use for placebo? It was a grape Kool-Aid that had it was um, sweetened for the identical taste to Concord grapes, so you wouldn't be able to tell the difference. But obviously, grape Kool-Aid doesn't have those anthocyanins. And so we saw a significant difference uh, with the grape juice consumers um, actually showing increased neural activation in the cortical regions of their brain. That's the frontal lobe. And another study at Harvard showed nurses improve their memory and decrease cognitive decline uh, by consuming blueberries and strawberries. The difference it made in cognitive decline was two and a half years, which is significant. You might ask how much blueberries or strawberries did they have to consume to help their brains uh, maintain that function for an additional two and a half years? And the answer is just one serving a week of blueberries. They were doing more, it could even be better, or two servings a week of strawberries. Strawberries don't have as high of antioxidants as blueberries. Resveratrol, which is also present in the skin of red grapes as well as other foods, improves neurogenesis and expression of brain-derived neurotrophic factor in the hippocampus, and it also increases BDNF levels. Resveratrol has been shown to improve the blood flow to the brain by up to 30% and it may help protect the brain from dementia. Grape skin extract, which is high in resveratrol, protects against the toxicity of beta amyloid protein, which occurs in neurodegenerative diseases like Alzheimer's, and also against free radical damage. So bilberries will have 768 nanograms uh, of resveratrol, cranberries even more at 900, blueberries 1691, but Peanuts are even a better source of resveratrol and red grapes, Pinot Noir, uh, very high. Ligonberries, even higher yet. And the Merlot red grapes are going to have your highest source at well over 6,300 nanograms. The dose-response relationship, of course, people wonder what's the least we can eat and get some benefit out of fruits and vegetables. Where does it level out? Well, it actually levels out. You continue to get benefit until you're consuming 7.2 servings of fruit per day and 8.2 servings of vegetables per day. That's over 15 servings daily 
of fruits and vegetables, and then it seems to start leveling out. But that's a lot of fruits and vegetables. And so you can continue to benefit up to 15 servings per day. Then another study was done in 80,000 British people. There was a dose-response relationship, once again, between fruit and vegetable intake and self-reported happiness and life satisfaction. Most healthy people or happy people eat over seven to eight servings of fruits and vegetables a day. And once again, associated well-being. Nutrition has such an important role to play in the brain that a recent review by the prestigious journal Lancet Psychiatry stated, now is the time for the recognition of the importance of nutrient and nutrient supplementation in psychiatry. Nutritional medicine should now be considered as a mainstream element of psychiatric practice. So if your psychiatrist isn't talking to you about nutrition, he is not mainstream. He's not up with the latest in a lot of things that can help the neurotransmitters and help the brain perform better and even help the brain to learn, retain, and apply knowledge and be better academically. Physical exercise is also, of course, very important. We mentioned that. But another form of exercise that's often neglected is working with your own hands in a real-world 3D environment. It's imperative for full cognitive and intellectual development. Research is showing that increasing time spent in the virtual world of computers, however, is displacing hands-on play and hands-on learning. 3D learning allows young people to experience how the world works in practice, to gain an understanding of materials and processes and make informed judgments about abstract concepts. And the nice thing about it is our hand uh, motion is initiated in the back part of the frontal lobe of our brain. So when we're using our hands in 3D, such as playing a musical instrument or doing agriculture, uh, planting or picking fruits and vegetables or even washing dishes, uh, the area of this, our frontal lobe actually begins to expand uh, and increase circulation. And this can help us considerably in regards to academic performance. This is why if you're even going through medical school, it'd be good for you to at least 20 minutes a day to be doing something three-dimensional with your hands. And so these are just a few things that can make a huge difference in regards to your academic performance. And uh, I would like you to uh, consider the the massive difference um, this can make. Uh, And another factor I should mention Uh, that's very important in regards to academic performance is making more melatonin at night. Early to bed, early to rise will actually double your melatonin output. And this is why if you're really wanting to excel academically, if it's all at all possible, it's better for you to go to bed at nine o'clock, get up at four o'clock in the morning and study intensely. And when you get on that habit, it can make a significant difference because you're much more able to learn what you're learning that day and put it in long-term memory. And it'll be very helpful in regards to uh, final exams. If you're not using screens an hour before bedtime, you'll also make uh, more uh, melatonin. And so uh, I would like uh, to encourage you uh, to uh, go forward yourself in doing whatever you can to improve your brain power. It is indeed extremely important to your future. Who you are is actually what's between these two ears. It's your brain. And the wonderful thing about our brains is because they of the power of neuroplasticity, they can change for the better. 
And these lifestyle habits that I've talked about can make significant real changes in improving academic performance. The French philosopher mentioned years ago in the 18th century, doctors are always working to preserve our health and cooks to destroy it, but the latter are often the more successful. It doesn't have to be that way if we can retrain the cooks to have healthy food that's also tasty food. So it starts often with what we're putting into our body and then our academic performance can also improve by being cautious about what we put into our brain in regards to what we are seeing and hearing and how distracted we are going to be. So I'd like to give you some opportunities uh, to contact us. Uh, Nedleyhealth.com is our website. Uh, we have several uh, programs that are now available online. Optimize Your Brain is an online program that takes six weeks to go through. Uh, there's a workbook associated with it. It's once a week for six weeks, but it will improve your ability to um, for academic performance and also significantly improve your emotional intelligence. We do have to step away just briefly, but we're going to be back with more from the Stress Control Summit. All of it coming up May 22nd through May 24th. You can sign up for free at stresscontrolsummit.com. We'll be back with more right after this. Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. If a natural disaster comes knocking, how prepared is your family? You can't just close the door on earthquakes, floods, or hurricanes and hope they go away. That's why it's important to make a plan now. Ready.gov slash plan has the tools and tips you need to prepare your family for an emergency. So if disaster shows up at your doorstep, you'll be ready. Visit ready.gov slash plan and make a plan today. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. I'm just texting him back. I'm just posting a story. I'm just changing the song. I'm just... No. When it comes to distracted driving, just don't. Sending a text takes your eyes off the road for just five seconds, but in that time, your car can travel the length of an entire football field. Any distracted driving just isn't worth it. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, and the Ad Council. What is a number story? My number story started with fear and a lack of support, and it has led me to be there for others. A number story begins in our childhood with ACEs, adverse childhood experiences. My number story begins with the separation from my father and the emotional abandonment from my mother and leads to me being a role model to not only myself, but those around me by becoming the person that wasn't there for me. ACEs are so common, two-thirds of us have one. My number story begins with drug abuse and homelessness and leads to realizing that I can live life by my own standards. A study found the more ACEs, the more likely we may experience a host of serious health effects, physical and mental, but that doesn't need to be the case. Your ACE number is simply an entry point to your own story. Where it leads is up to you. My number story begins with years of emotional abuse and leads to peace, clarity, and security in my self-worth. Take control of where your number story leads at numberstory.org. 
You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian and Alaskan Native Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. Welcome back to American Indian and Alaskan Native Living for our final segment to today's edition of the broadcast. We've got some great content that we're winding up this uh, show with. We're going to switch now to another topic. It's one that you may not have thought had all that much to do with stress management. Well, or maybe you did because you are a gardener. That's exactly right. We're going to speak about gardening and how it can help you in the area of stress management. I know this is a topic close to the hearts of many of you in Indian country. Not only do many of you have uh, deep cultural roots where you had elders who were involved actually in uh, agricultural pursuits right here in North America, but others of you have gotten excited more recently. Perhaps it's your own garden. Perhaps you're part of one of the many community gardens that are springing up throughout Indian country. Either way, gardening can have powerful stress-relieving benefits. We're going to hear from an expert in gardening. His name is Paul Deisinger. Paul Deisinger runs an organization called Seed Time, and he's educated hundreds, thousands of people in the art of gardening. You don't want to miss this. Let's take a listen. Stress management and how your garden can help you from Paul Deisinger. It's pretty amazing because being outdoors in nature or being in the garden uh, can actually help regulate your emotions and reduces those cortisol levels that are pumping through your body. Um, and uh, a resource for that is the Garden Gate magazine. They, they were talking a little bit about that. Um, it turns out that Here's just a quote from them. It says, it turns out that being exposed to friendly soil microbes on a regular basis boosts your immune system, cuts your risk of inflammatory disease, and yes, reduces stress. So this is kind of like the next level. You have, um, first first of all, so I'll, I'll just recap. First of all, you know, nature is the very first environment we were created to be in. Second, it reduces those cortisol levels. But third is this fascinating research that is being done on the microbes in the soil itself. Um, back in 1989, there was a guy by the name of David Strachan who first proposed kind of a controversial uh, hypothesis called the hygiene hypothesis. And it was basically the hypothesis that our world is so sterile now that the lack of exposure to microorganisms in our childhood is leading to impaired immune systems, higher rates of allergies and asthma and stuff like that. Since then, researchers have since like refined that theory, suggesting that it's not the exposure of disease-causing germs, uh, because we know that those can cause serious effects as well, but that there are beneficial microbes that we're losing at, losing exposure to by being removed from the natural environment, being removed from the garden, being removed from uh, the soil where these microorganisms are. And so uh, there's a quote in the Science Daily. It says, the idea is that as humans have moved away from farms and an agricultural uh, existence into cities, we have lost contact with organisms that served to regulate our immune system and suppress inappropriate inflammation. Uh, that has put us at a higher risk of inflammatory disease and, specifically for our topic today, stress-related psychiatric disorders. 
Um, so th they go on and what they have found is that there's a specific uh, bacteria. It's called the Mycobacterium vacae. And they did some research with it and they actually injected it into rodents. And they found that when, when they injected it into the rodents, it altered the animal's behavior in a way similar to that of antidepressants. Uh, in fact, in, in the way that, yeah, similar to that of antidepressants, and it had a long-lasting anti-inflammatory effect on the brain of these rodents. Absolutely fascinating. This is a microbe that is found in the soil. So people started saying, hey, maybe dirt is the new Prozac and you need to be getting some more extra um, contact with the soil uh, because these microbes can actually, in a sense, act as an antidepressant, um, which relates to the, the topic of stress here because stress is one of the key factors uh, for depression as well, right? Um, and for, for many other different uh, things in life as well. But I just found it very fascinating that God created these little microbes that are in the soil and that by contact with them in, in gardening know-how, they go into a little bit more depth of, you know, how, how does this happen to the gardener, right? So it says, it, well, and this will describe it a little bit in more depth as well. It says antidepressant microbes in the soil calls, cause cytokine levels to rise, which results in the production of higher levels of serotonin. Uh, the bacterium was tested both by injection and ingestion on rats, and the results were increased cognitive ability, lower stress, and better concentration in tasks than a controlled group. And so how does this, uh, how does this play into gardeners? Well, gardeners inhale the bacteria, they have topical contact with it, and get it into their bloodstream when there's any kind of little cut or a pathway for infection. And the natural effects of the soil bacteria and a depressant can be felt for up to three weeks, if the experiments with the rats are any indication. So the, the recommendation is get out there and play in the dirt because it can improve your mood and your life. And I just find that incredibly fascinating, like from a purely scientific standpoint. And by the way, they've known that the gardening helps reduce stress for long before they looked into these bacteria, right? But from a purely scientific standpoint, you have these bacteria that either you breathe them in, you maybe eat some of them, you know, you don't wash your produce quite as thoroughly as before, and, and some of them get eaten, or if you get a little cut or something, and they can actually act as an antidepressant. Now, I don't suggest anyone going out there and just like trying to cut their feet to walk in the soil. But I do know that there were medical health sanitariums. And I don't know if they still do this. I believe some do. There are medical health sanitariums who would take their patients and they would actually plow up a field, just plain raw dirt, and they would have their patients walk barefoot across the raw dirt. And this is before any of this research has come, come about, but somehow they knew that that contact with the soil in nature helps to improve the person's health and I believe uh, specifically help to reduce stress as well. So you have those effects. And then uh, you also have the fact that gardening is uh, an activity, right? So there's different aspects to that. There's uh, creativity. You know, it takes some creativity uh, to grow in the garden, decide where you're going to put your plants, etc. 
Uh, once you do that, you create a beautiful space. And that in and of itself, that feeling of accomplishment is, uh, I would consider a stress reducer, as well as the very fact that you're getting active physical activity, which is known to be a good way to help reduce stresses to, to exercise or to get out there, do something active. Don't just sit on your couch, uh, living a sedentary lifestyle. Right. So like I said, there's multiple factors. Another one that I could just throw in there, uh, is the fact that sunlight is, uh, known to be helpful. In fact, um, the Dr. Nedley brings this out, and uh, I believe that he's going to be speaking on this summit as well, if I'm correct. But he brings it out that the the blue light from the sky is actually super important for um, for our mental well being and to help reduce depression or stress. In this case, would be getting that blue light from the sky on the whites of our eyes. Um, and that would just be another aspect of being outside in the garden in that natural environment. So like I said, it's multi-levels and I'm sure I haven't even touched on all of them here right now, but it's pretty exciting to see how, how nature in the garden can help just lower the stress in our lives. If you're interested in learning more from Paul Deisinger, his entire presentation will be featured in the Stress Control Summit taking place May 22nd through May 24th of 2022. You can get full details and sign up for free at StressControlSummit.com. Well, I hope you found today's edition of American Indian and Alaska Native Living not only interesting but educational. Hopefully you picked up some insights, things that can help you deal with the stressors in your life. If you want to take in the full program and you're just joining us, you just caught the tail end, you can do that simply by going to StressControlSummit.com. That's StressControlSummit.com. You can take in the whole program there free of charge from May 22nd through May 24th of 2022. So I'd encourage you to sign up as soon as you can. A lot of other great presenters who are there, uh, folks that you may know of. I'm one of the presenters at the Stress Control Summit. So if you want to check out uh, my presentation, it will be there. If you say, hey, I listen to you every week, Dr. DeRose, I want to hear somebody else, that is fine as well. A variety of presenters. You can pick and choose who you want to hear from during those specific days, May 22nd through May 24th. So mark it on your calendar, and by all means, sign up today for the Stress Control Summit, stresscontrolsummit.com. Well, that's all the time we've got today. I'm Dr. David DeRose, as always, wishing you the very best of health. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.